Buzzard is an independent podcast recorded live at the Cranky Buzzard Restaurant. Each week, we listen to stories from food lovers, misfits, free spirits, and wanderers who make the community one of the best places to eat and drink. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash herdthepodcast. Welcome to another week. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? I need to come up with a tagline. You do. I'm thinking about this. I'm going to come up with a tagline. <laughs> yeah. You should. Yeah. yeah like you a should. soundboard. Which that's, yeah, this Sarah week's goal. And, uh, yeah. This week's goal. Yeah, there Ryan's we go, tagline. Yep, I'll yep. work on it. I'm very excited about this week. This week we have Chef Alan Burgo, known as a culinary personality and authority on all things Midwestern food. He's a 2022 James Beard Award winner for his foraging and cooking show, Field Forest Feast, is what it is called now, correct? Yes. Which is amazing. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, Alan is also the author of Flora, which is a cookbook that I personally own. Um, so I'm just gonna fan. I'm just gonna fan yeah, girl. Fan girl I'm just gonna time? sink into my chair. All right, you do you. You take yeah. in the moment. Well, we gotta remember to get moment. you a John Hancock before I leave. <laughs> yes, please sign the wall. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for coming to, yeah, thanks, to chat with us. Yeah, a little clear. Yeah, we we kind of do too. Yeah, just a little. Just a little bit. Uh, the, so one of the first things that I wanted to ask you about is um, I always find it amazing when people start uh, from very humble beginnings, and I believe yours was McDonald's. Absolutely. McDonald's, Hardee's, <laughs> yes. uh, Pizza Hut. I got fired from Hardee's, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I went to Pizza Hut. McDonald's is probably where I spent the most of my time in fast food. Yep. You from, from the area then? I grew up in Wilmer, Minnesota, about two hours west of the cities. My dad's okay. a farmer. Mom's a teacher. Yeah. And yeah, that fast food is my introduction to the industry. I have a lot of uh, family out by uh, Sock Center, Minnesota. Right on. Yeah, yeah. I always know uh, what area of the country you're from when I hear Hardee's, uh, because for me it's Carl's Jr. Yeah, true. Hardee's for life. <laughs> West Coast for life. It is Carl's, yeah. Carl's Jr. Sure. Uh, same also with Panera St. Louis Bread Company. Um, oh, okay. I also, it's St. Louis Bread Company for me. Um, I, uh, I also wanted to, I'm just going to get all the fangirl out of the way. Yep. I also have a very deep love uh, for anything Lydia Bastianich, and I have like, every one of her cookbooks too. Um, and so when I was um, gathering information and trying to, trying to stalk you before the podcast, I was like, oh, gosh, he also has a great taste in cookbooks. I get to cook for her too. Stop. Oh. Stop. Get out. <laughs> get it, just get, yeah. Um, for anyone that is uh, unfamiliar with this uh, wonderful Italian woman, uh, pick up any one of her cookbooks any day um, and just let her teach you how to make Italian food because she is by far the, the expert. Oh, I really missed an opportunity here with Luke. Uh, his biggest pet peeve is because he's Italian and real Italian, per his look, um, <laughs> is that I, I always call it Italian just because <laughs> you never should have let me know that it bugged him. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're known as a forager chef. Um, I find that very interesting. Um, I have been foraging a handful of times in my life, and the only thing I have successfully come back with is ticks. Me uh, too. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then a lot of uh, mushrooms in particular that I get out there, and then you're trying to find cell service to figure out, do I remember what this one looked like? Do I remember if I can eat this one? Should I, what should I do with it? Um, I, I find it very fun, very interesting. Um, and then also being in Alaska for as long as I was, um, my big claim to fame are always wild berries and fiddlehead ferns because those are very easily identifiable. I know absolutely <laughs> and they're nothing. great. And they're delicious. Yeah. I know absolutely nothing about foraging. How did you end up getting into that? 
Well, I was working at Heartland. I, I'd been introduced to, you know, local seasonal ingredients before at a few restaurants, so I, I had a taste for it. But when I worked at Heartland, that was really my formative years in many different respects. So the menu changed every single day. Uh, all the people on the line would write the menu for their station, brand new, every day, only using ingredients from within 200 miles of Minnesota. No citrus, no saltwater fish, uh, no olive oil. You want to make a vinaigrette, you're probably fermenting beer left over from the bartenders and then using that a couple months later. Uh, I would see kind of this, you know, progression of different interesting things coming into the restaurant. And it was like on-the-job training, right? So before, really before I went outside and started teaching myself about mushrooms, I had already worked with all of the the most well-known common species in our area and put them on a menu and tasted them. And, you know, there's something about working with something, holding it, smelling it, tasting it, cooking it. you That is an intimate process. And the first time I saw a chanterelle, I, I knew exactly what it was. There was no, there's no question. You know, I think we really undervalue our instincts. You know, just about everyone in the world is descended from a forager at some point in time. And those instincts are kind of like a dusty bike sitting in the garage. You just got to knock the dust off. And they, they come back very quick. You know, human pattern recognition is extremely strong. And just a little bit of repetition. Now when I go outside, there's there's no difference in picking a mushroom that I know from picking a banana off the shelf. I just think that's the neatest thing. Yeah. It, it. We, um, we here in this restaurant are... Uh, we're about 90% locally sourced um, for what is not locally sourced. Um, the rest, everything is made from scratch. Um, it was a business model that I had going into the industry. Um, I had learned all the things that I loved about the restaurant industry, uh, coupled with all the things that I wanted to change about the restaurant industry, which um, pushed me into buying a very old building um, and starting a restaurant and just kind of flinging it out there like my Hail Mary, let's just see if this is going to work. Um, and not so much local for me, um, but more um, putting money back into the community. Um, and then also real food, um, healthy food, um, things that aren't just open a bag and dump in a fryer. Um, and and we've, we've been really successful with that. Um, I actually have two chefs both here today um, that forage quite a bit. And, uh, and that's very important to them. And I just, I, I find it so interesting that that they're able to go outside and then bring back so many cool things. And so I'm, I'm lucky to have the, the kitchen staff that I have because of their wealth of knowledge where I've coupled my business sense with their talents in the kitchen and their, their knowledge. Um, and I'm hoping that we can um, create something and have been creating something super cool here. Um, but it's definitely a skill that I would love if I could ever get out of this place yeah. <laughs> physically yeah. um, to be able to learn to do. But you understand restaurant ownership. You become married to, you come, become married to the space. As you should be, though, too, because if, you're, if, you people gotta, be. <laughs> if people got to ask who owns it, you're not there nearly enough. Yeah, which is unfortunate because then it's pretty hard for you to ever get a real break. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Shepherd Song Farm. Yes, and Larry your and Judy. With that. I love them. <laughs> so after Lucia's closed, which was the last restaurant I ran, I was just like shell shocked. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I had never had anything that took away my fire for cooking. Yep. You know, I'm cooking every day, and it really takes something traumatic to kind of like you know snuff out your flame. Mm -hmm. And Larry and Judy, I'd been buying 
I knew that their stuff was the best grass-fed lamb and goat that money could buy, and I'd been buying it for a long time. And they're also they also have a nonprofit, and they work around the world, uh, specifically in Nepal and Mali, teaching basically underprivileged women how to raise sustainable ruminant herds. And I just melt every time I say that. I just love I love Judy. They're like the salt of the earth people, and they took me on kind of as a contractor and consultant and we started we i think we started with making a video series about how you can make dog treats out of goat meat <laughs> that's and, a hell of a start right there. yes yeah. yeah and but like all natural yeah. right and then from there i started writing for their website and doing their social media um we've kind of ratcheted things down a little bit but i still work for them and do you know one or two things a month and yeah, I've been. They they kind of like nursed me back to health. Yeah. It, and it was. I'm forever grateful for them. And I just love lamb and goat. I mean, goats especially are like like my spirit animals. Your spirit animal. That's a that was, that's a unique spirit animal, by the way. A, a goat. They're, they're well, because they're going around. Yeah. They're they're like a deer, right? So they're eating they're eating wild plants in the spring. They're eating on the ground, but they're also like a deer in that they're eating from the understory and the the young leaves of trees and things like that. So. I, I just love them. Yeah, we have a lot of things in common. Yep. I have in deployments in the military um, have had the luxury of eating all over the world, um, and goat is absolutely delicious. Um, trying to think of any opportunity to try it here, I think your best bet of trying goat it would probably be at this restaurant. Yeah, I uh, locally. Um, I also have three goats of my own <laughs> that do not get eaten. Uh, that just kind of live Seems and I, they really suspicious. are they're like little deer they they aren't fenced they just live right in my backyard area and they're my three girls and How long they're have just you had lovely them? Uh, two of them were born on my farm uh, one of them is their mother um, and I've had them for uh, about three three years uh, the babies and then the, the mother I had for I, when I got her, she was pregnant with the two girls. So um, I delivered both girls, um, and so I feel wow. very attached to all three of them. Um, but they're just these free, free range. Free if range anyone, goats. if anyone knows, my farmer er, is familiar, which uh, is its own separate business. Uh, there's lots of photos of, of the girls. So um, they live with their donkey. Of course, uh, naturally. They do. So. Um, it's. I never thought of them being a spirit animal, but they are definitely in the running for anybody's spirit animal. They're pretty great. Um, you brought some things for us, and I am just going to say to anyone that's listening, please be jealous um, because we get to eat things. Yeah. Um, but I'm very, very curious as to what you brought and and the things that we get to taste today. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd never expected about you know becoming interested in wild food. Chefs are, well, I was always drawn to, you know, interesting ingredients. New ingredients are like catnip for chefs, right? <laughs> yes. So with working with wild food and plants and mushrooms, I'm working with ingredients, you know, many chefs will never taste in their life. Rare plants, rare mushrooms, you know, things specific to our region. But I brought a couple little examples of just different flavors that I enjoy that I've been working with recently. So this morning, uh, during the winter, I usually wake up and crack nuts for breakfast. So I was cracking butternuts and black walnuts today. So you're going to get them about an hour out of the shell. 
And if you've never had a black walnut fresh from the shell, it is, it's an experience. And then butternuts to taste butternuts and black walnuts side by side is pretty cool because they're extremely different. Then I have, let's see, another thing that you can do with black walnuts that's in my book is taking after uh, a tradition from the Caucasus and Eastern Europe. It's, it's called the Varignai or walnut jam. It is not a spread. It is green, unripe walnuts that are paired by hand to give them kind of the, a faceted look. And then they're purged by soaking them in water for about a week. And they naturally have this like really vigorous fermentation to them with no added salt or anything. And after they've fermented and the water's been changed a couple times, you cook them in a really heavy syrup and jar them. And you eat the unripe nut hull and the unripe nut inside Bef- really before the nut has even developed. Uh, the, the, the immature nuts inside kind of have a texture similar to bone marrow, and then it has a flavor. It's almost like vanilla. They need to age a little while. Uh, I add wild, a wild herb here that I call wild vanilla that you'll taste in the syrup, too, that they're preserved in. Then I was lucky enough to get a bunch of sand cherries last year when I was harvesting blueberries. I went a little bit late, and sand cherries are actually our largest native cherry and a lot of people don't like them because they'll get into the blueberries and you'll break your teeth on them. But they have a really, really good flavor. So just a, one of the flavors on the spectrum of cherry flavors that we, that we have here in the Midwest. And then on the savory side, uh, I make a almost like a vegan soy sauce out of uh, ramp leaves mixed with uh, koji rice that I ferment and then cook at 145 Fahrenheit for like 30 days. And then I strain it out. Uh, but I make it from pure ramp juice mixed with ramp leaves that I put through a juicer. You have to wear goggles. So it's basically like... You're a special like, breed, my I'm friend. I'm, sit- I, I'm sitting here just being like, and... I'm yeah. bad. You're, you're, you're yes, so, I, so yeah. passionate about it, so knowledgeable about it. And I, I'm just sitting here being like, I would never have guessed what's in here. Yeah, so I stuff, think so. maybe we should start off with the, with the walnut and butternut comparison first. So, yeah, the butternuts, see, they're, they're almost shaped like a little football. And these are actually harder than black walnuts. And, you know, black walnuts are really hard. They use them ground up to polish battleships, <laughs> right? Or, or, or uh, polish a, the inside sure. of a gun barrel. Naturally. And, black, and butternuts are even harder. They're also endangered in Minnesota. And it is technically a felony for me to bring these across the border. Also dangerous. Do yeah. you see? Dangerous, yeah. Yeah. So I keep them in the also trunk. D- <laughs> Keep, keep them in. That would that'd just Natural. be the Another funniest trick I learned thing. In the industry. <laughs> yeah, funniest thing to get pulled over for. They're like, sir, we know you. Mm-hmm. We know you have nuts hidden in your car somewhere. We, yeah. There's a sniffing dog that knows that they're well, in here. Well, Stay away it? from my nuts. Sir, step out of the vehicles. Uh, yeah, in, in Canada, yeah. you can't bring back uh, pastries and whatnot, can you? You can't cross the border. Uh, I don't believe what. Like what, like a Kringle? Yeah, you know, like a pie. Like a pie. You can't cross the... Okay, so cross. first, try the butternut. You can see they're shaped like a little canoe paddle. Yep. Try the butternut first and notice the lack of tannins and the creamy texture with a hint of banana. It's the Which one first here? Right here? Yeah, canoe paddle first. Uh, to anyone that's listening, um, there will be photos that come along with this episode just so that you're familiar with all the fun that we get to have. Did he just grab black walnuts and butternuts I at the same so. time? No. Okay. I think just Just making sure. I want you to get the right taste. And the banana taste is not sweet. It's after. It is after. Yeah, it's after, and it's very mm-hmm. subtle. 
now try the fresh black walnut. Here, you get this big piece. All right. Very different. That's very different. I'm always interested Completely in, different. in how people describe the taste of black walnuts. It's, it's hard to describe. I used to call it mentholated, but that makes me think of like Newports. It's it starts off really like sweet to me. Um, it started off. It started off a little bit bitter for me, and then got very sweet, and now it's aroma. Yeah, and now it's it is it's an aroma. It's, yeah. Wow. Those yeah. are quite good. And you don't need to toast them. No. With fresh nuts, that's one thing that I that I kind of had to chef training I had to undo was my instinct to always toast nuts. Sure. When they're fresh out the shell, there's no need to toast them. Oh wow. If they've been frozen or if they've been sitting on a shelf, that is when the toasting will kind of revive them and bring them back. So right. sitting on a shelf, um and I don't so I, growing up, uh, my grandmother had a walnut tree in her backyard, and I, I wish that I could know what kind of walnut it was, but as a kid, she would send me with one of the little nutcrackers, and I would climb the tree, and then I would just sit there and then eat walnuts until I got gut rot. Um, and I wish that I knew what kind of walnut that was. I'll tell you, it wasn't one of those. <laughs> English um, walnut? Could be. Um, but for someone... When you you know when you when you have not you have them sitting on your shelf, what is kind of the time frame of um, when you go from fresh to hey you got to toast these these are I don't know what the time frame is too I, I I'm gonna assume it depends on if they've been sitting out uh, unrefrigerated got it. that is the worst okay the best way to store them is in the freezer if they've been in the freezer. Um, Really, they only need just a little bit. And with black walnuts, it depends on how you want them to taste. If you toast black walnuts, they're going to taste more like an English walnut. Mm -hmm. The harder, you know, the more golden they get. If you just basically warm them up, then they're going to keep that strong flavor. All right, sand cherry syrup. So this is one of my favorite things to make with, like, any juicy berry or fruit. Is a gastric. I take the berry. I don't like syrupy, syrupy stuff. So instead of making syrup, I add vinegar made from the same berries. And then I reduce it down. So it's sweet. It can be sweet or it can be savory. You can put it on a panna cotta or you can put it on a duck. But they have a really dark, like oh, yeah. dark cherry flavor, right? That's really good. Yeah, I and really these are like seen as like, you know. Black magic is this. <laughs> people seem as like a trash fruit, right? This is not trash. It's a no. world-class ingredient you cannot buy in a store. That is absolutely delicious. You all tell you as I... Uh, I despise kind of the flavor of, uh, say, like almost like the raisin flavor. Yeah. Yeah. And that for a second, I thought it was going to hit me like that. It is not. Mm-mm. And it is. That is awesome. That is absolutely wow. delicious. Wow. Okay. Now, the next, I hope I don't offend anyone with the smell. They'll it's be like fine. Weaponized. This is yep. the uh, oh. the <laughs> vegan soy like sauce. Smelling salt. Ryan's out. Yes. Yeah. Ryan's out. It is, <laughs> it is like out. weaponized <laughs> garlic. This is what happens when you ferment pure ramp juice. So oh. I just take. A little spoon. Try a little bit. And this is just one of like so many things that you can make with ramps. And this is only the leaves, too. But there's a lot of there's a lot of fire and brimstone online about harvesting ramps and over harvesting. You can harvest the oh, leaves wow. really almost with impunity. And you use them to make cool stuff like this. That's really delicious. good in like a simple broth. Like yeah. you would add soy to a ramen broth. 
with really strong garlic that flavor would be forward. That's well, it, yeah, it, that good. It's rich, but not like over the over the top. I feel like you could go over the top of it pretty quickly, but no, that's, that's delicious. Seriously. I like to think wow. of myself as a soy sauce connoisseur. Um, I spent a, a lot of my childhood in Hawaii, and so rice and soy sauce, everything, put that on everything, thanks to my parents uh, and their inability to cook. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, I would I would put that on just a, just about anything, up yeah. to including just a just a pickle bowl of white rice, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which has uh, always been yeah. kind of my my kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, no, white no, rice no. with everything. And, and obviously, it's so good. <laughs> on the food side, you guys are, have surpassed me a million times over. Um, so my my definition of things only goes so far. But uh, I would I would say I mean that that like on the, like you were saying on the soy side, if I had that in my like sitting on my car, I'm, 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 you know, took it out of the fridge or whatever, I would dip everything in it. Everything. Yeah, it's so good. Absolutely so good. everything. Mm-hmm. I just find it. Uh, and there's going to be a, there are a lot of a lot of the kitchen here uh, is going to listen to this episode, uh, and I know I'm going to hear about it. Why? Why weren't we there? Why didn't yeah. we get invited? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? And and that's great um, because this is kind of what we've been trying to accomplish here, um, which has been incredible. But I just I think it's so interesting when you take. Um, we like to take a lot of things that, again, people like to think of as a weed or a trash part of the animal, um, you know, things like that. We had an entire episode with one of our chefs, Max, where we talked about all of the parts of the animal that, that would be considered discard in terms of you did of a You did say, standpoint. speaking on the trash side of mm-hmm. that, uh, you did say that your spirit animal was a trash panda, and people don't forget, so... <laughs> Just so you know, it makes sense. I just find there is no greater species in the world than the great American campground raccoon. No, they have weird Their little palate, animals. think about that palate that they have. They wash no. their food before they eat it. They, see? You don't One of the, the <laughs> very few animals that do that. Yes. Nope, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm A wonderful out. creature that, that eats fresh food, old food, and then also Cheetos that they find. I just find them to be incredibly fascinating. Yeah, trash pandas. Yep. The camp of the cramp, campground nature. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it has yeah. to be a, a raccoon that frequents a campground. Yep. To yep. really get, yeah. Yep. Um, I, I just, uh, in terms of like the no waste and eating eating what you find and, and going back to kind of the, the basics of, of what we are and what we came from, um, to me, it, I just, I love that better than anything that you can buy in the store. Yeah, there's a really interesting dichotomy with wild food because, you know, on on one hand, these things are seen as weeds. People try to, you know, remove a lot of these things from the garden, like purslane uh, and nettles and things like that. On the other hand, these things are also seen as luxury ingredients and are served in the best restaurants in the world. One of my favorite stories is the most expensive meal I have ever cooked. It was like four people from a corporation. And they said, how much for dinner for four? I said a thousand bucks per person. And I just went all out on the menu. I bought, you know, all the truffles, the A5, the foie gras, the caviar, everything. Guess what their favorite dish was? Metal soup. Metal soup. Hands down, the favorite. Metal soup. Yep. Wow. Yep. Weed soup. Yep. uh, Yep. It it seems kind of funny, too, that a lot of people... um, a lot of people tend to 
you know, think of like simple, how simple ingredients or things that are around you, like you're saying that people take for granted. They're like, oh, you're just trying to be fancy. When it actually, in all reality, you're going the other way and using what's ar- like around you instead. And, you know, instead of going over the top to go over the top and be different, you're not being all that different. You're just, you're just coming, you're going back to the roots, like you were saying, you know, on the aspect of making something out of the things that everyone else just kind of disregards. And then people think you're being, you know, people could think you're being too bougie about it or whatever, however yep. you want to put it. But in all reality, you're just doing it the smartest and, you know, like the, the old school way, pretty much, you know, and, and it's super cool hearing you talk about it because you're so passionate about it. And I know nothing about this, you know. And I didn't either. You know, it's a learned skill and it's something, you know, lots of sacrifices in the industry. After I would get off work and before work, you know, working full time, I studied. I went outside and hiked when I was at Heartland after I found my first mushroom and knew like, hey, this is more about timing than it is uh, some being some unattainable thing. I bought myself every piece of mushroom literature I could and I studied before I went to work, after I went to work and in the field. You know, it's it's a learned skill like anything else. It's a it's a beautiful process to me that uh, when you look at, especially in the American diet, if you look at the things that are historically considered delicious, uh, things that are good, and then uh, you sit here and you experience some of the flavors that we've just experienced and the very limited things that we've tasted here during this episode um, that just blow my mind in terms of, of redefining um, what we think is good. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's what we think is healthy. Um, I think that we have such a convoluted belief um, in our culture of what is good and, and what is healthy. Um, and, and we've overused a lot of terms um, like organic and local and things that just get overused and then muddied and then, and then we, we sell it to profit. Yeah, kind of get a stigma about it. Yep. Where you go, again, you go back to the basics of just going outside and we've come so far from being able to walk outside and, and myself included as a restaurant owner, I go outside. I love to hike. I, I grew up hiking. Um, I grew up on the coast and I grew up in the mountains and it never dawned on me to learn about all the things around me that I could bring home um, and enhance my own creativity and my own diet um, to, to eat better um, and to eat more the way I should. And then I bought a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there you <laughs> and go. And then yeah. I surrounded myself with so many industry professionals that are so creative and so talented who all strive to have this level of creativity and to go back to the basics with their creativity. Um, and it's just incredible. I mean, doing this every single day has been by far the, the, the smartest and the dumbest and the best thing that I've ever done. Um, and, and being able, I mean, there's... When again are we going to be able to? Yeah. I mean, in all reality, no, to be yeah. able to taste things like this yeah, yeah, without re- meeting people yeah, like you. Realistically, yeah. And, and like I said, I'm incredibly grateful that you were able to come on because this is something I, you know, I don't know all that much about. I'm on the bar side of things, and I mean, I, I can I can cook well enough, but I anyone in here who works in that, this kitchen at Cranky would run circles around me, and I'm not ashamed <laughs> to admit that. Um, but being able to taste this and have you, you know, explain it as well and explain it in a way that I could actually understand it was awesome. And I'm grateful for that. So I appreciate having you on, man. We are oh, very thanks. grateful for your time. It's very nice to meet you. 
Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of these things with us. Um, there will be uh, a lot of notes that come with this episode, so definitely check out the notes. Um, there will be many, many links. If you have not looked at, purchased all of the above, um, Chef Allen's cookbook, I highly recommend it, uh, both personally and professionally. Yeah, it's called The Forager Chef's Book of Flora. Oh, and my website it. is foragerchef.com, and I'm usually pretty active on Instagram. That's at foragerchef. Thank you so much for your time. This is when I have to get emotional with my co-host and very good friend. Thank you again for another great week. Yeah, yeah. Another another great great week in the books. And uh, we, we hope you guys are listening. We'll, we'll look forward to seeing each other shortly, actually. So. Sounds good. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>